After many years of participating in the great debate, I have come to the solid conclusion that Jesus Christ's portrayal of man's sinful condition in John 3:17 through 20 is precisely accurate. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, and neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Carnal men clamor for truth, for someone to prove that God is confident that it cannot be done. Yet when this proof is provided, they stop their ears or run to the champions of unbelief in search of a reasonable dodge. But the real truth is that their deeds are evil and they are not willing to come to the light. The last thing carnal man wants is truth. Many years ago, when cassette tapes were a major vehicle in the audio world, a young salesman named Scott came to my office. In a regular business conversation, God's name came up in a most benign way, for example, God willing, and it sparked visible angst in Scott. He informed me that he was an agnostic, and that someone would have to prove God to him. I told Scott that God's good fortune had shined upon him that day, for sitting on the video monitor was an original set of cassette tapes that contained the first God Said, Man Said proof series. I loaned Scott the set, telling him to play them in his car's tape deck as he drove from account to account. Several days later, I got a call from Scott. He told me he had listened to the series and had a bone to pick with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the Bible, God's Word lists the nine gifts of the Spirit. One is the gift of knowledge, basically, where God reveals something to one of His servants, things he or she would not naturally know. I responded to Scott's bone to pick with the words God had given me. That's not true. All the loopholes have been closed up, and you're not willing to pay the price. A short pause followed. Scott replied, that's the truth. In that moment, Scott surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ and confessed him as his Lord and Savior. Have you been born again? Are you ready to shed your sin and shame? Will today be the day you make your peace with God? The Bible calls the place you're in the valley of decision. Choose Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory, the only name under heaven by which a man must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Don't procrastinate. Do it this very minute. Click on to Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, 14 and 15. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that man should fear before him. 
That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Man said, I'm living the dream. There's no need for a God who cramps my style. The price of salvation? I'm not willing to pay it. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 940, that will once again certify by third-party attestation that God's inerrant truth in His Holy Bible is true and righteous altogether, every jot and every tittle. All of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the blood-bought and as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Take advantage of four highly beneficial God Said, Man Said features. One, you have questions? God has answers. Whatever your question, type a keyword into the search bar top right and watch the screen populate with related information from Adam and Eve to quantum physics. Number two, use the tell a friend feature above to send a message to someone you love. It's so quick and easy. Three, imagine you can download nearly 350 hours of God Said, Man Said features to your electronic device. Listen to one every day. Number four, sign up for the God Said, Man Said weekly broadcast and fresh bread will be delivered to you, God willing, every Thursday Eve. Thank you for coming. May the marvels of salvation fill your heart with wonder. Thousands of years before today's vaunted science arrives at a true conclusion, they are shocked to discover that God has already staked out his position, or at least they should be. The redeemed are certainly not anti-science. Science simply means knowledge, and the fountain of all knowledge, of all science, is God. God, remember, does not do magic. Proverbs 3.19, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. God is the source of all true science. 1 Timothy 6.20 and 21, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So-called science, false science, has challenged the inerrant truth of God's Word for over 6,000 years without success, and the challenge begins with Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Imagine, millions of Satan's champions have stood before the sons of Adam to deride and contradict, and they have failed without fail. Be of good cheer, sons and daughters. They will not begin to succeed tomorrow. When God puts forth on an issue, whether it be in the sciences, health, diet, social justice, history, marriage, and more, even salvation and the eternal hereafter, it is always the inerrant and perfect truth, always. There are two great laws of science known as the first and second laws of thermodynamics. These laws were formulated in science around 1850 by Rudolf Clausius and William Thomson Kelvin. The primary focus of this feature will be law number one, and it must be noted that this law, as well as the second law, 
have been repetitively declared in the beautiful book, God's Holy Bible, even from the first day of creation, which occurred just over 6,000 years ago. Muncaster, in his book, Dismantling Evolution, wrote this concerning the first law. The law states that the total energy of a system plus its surroundings remains constant. It also states that energy and matter can neither be created nor destroyed, although matter can be converted to energy, such as the burning of wood or the fission of radioactive materials, and vice versa. The first law, like all the other laws of thermodynamics, has been verified by repeated testing and experimentation, so there is virtually no doubt about it and about its accuracy, end of quote. The late Dr. Henry Morse, geologist and founder of the Institute for Creation Research, was known in regard to the creation versus evolution debate as the father of modern creationism. He writes extensively on the first and second laws of thermodynamics in his nearly 500-page book, The Biblical Basis for Modern Science. Excerpts follow. The first law is commonly considered as synonymous with the law of conservation of energy. By energy is meant an entity which does or has the capacity to do work. Work is the product of a force and the distance through which that force operates. The nation's most prolific science writer, the humanistic biochemist Isaac Asimov, defined the first law as follows. To express all this, we can say, Energy can be transferred from one place to another or transformed from one form to another, but it can be neither created nor destroyed. Or we can put it another way. The total quantity of energy in the universe is constant. This law is considered the most powerful and most fundamental generalization about the universe that scientists have ever been able to make. No one knows why the energy is conserved, and no one can be completely sure it is truly conserved everywhere in the universe and under all conditions. All that anyone can say is that in over a century and a quarter of careful measurement, scientists have never been able to point to a definite violation of energy conservation, either in the familiar everyday surroundings about us or in the heavens above or in the atoms within. If one regards mass as being a type of entity different from energy, then the law can be modified to apply to the total quantity of energy and mass in the universe, thus allowing for the possibility of energy-mass conversions as in nuclear reactions. Except for the latter, of course, mass also is universally conserved. Both of these laws, the first and the second law of thermodynamics, individually and jointly clearly contradict the evolutionist cosmogony. Evolutionists purport to describe a cosmos in which all things come into existence and build themselves up into higher, more complex levels of existence by purely natural processes in a universe that is self-contained and self-sufficient. That is, evolution is a universal principle of innovation and integration functioning in a closed system universe. The laws of thermodynamics, on the other hand, describe a universal principle of conservation and disintegration functioning in a universe that must at least in its beginning have been an open system universe created and energized by a creator, energizer, transcendent to it. 
That is, the two universal laws of science yield exactly the same conclusion stated in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The first law states, in effect, that the universe could not have created itself. The second law states, in effect, that it must have been created, or else it would have completely disintegrated. The arrow of time points downward, and if these present laws continue to operate, the universe will eventually die with the sun and all its reservoirs of useful energy completely depleted. It will not cease to exist by the first law, but it will be dead by the second law. Since it is not yet dead, it must have had a beginning. If it were infinitely old, it would already be dead. The cosmos is a continuum of space and time, and the laws of thermodynamics apply to all systems of mass and energy that have ever been observed and measured in space and time with no known exceptions. Dr. Morse points out the theological implications. Consider for the time being only the theological implications of the two laws for the universe as a whole. A superficial application of the first law would conclude that the mass energy of this universe is eternal, since none is being either created or annihilated within the natural processes that obey the law. A superficial application of the second law would imply a future death of the universe, not its annihilation, but the cessation of all processes and maximum disorder, since the universe is now proceeding inexorably in that direction. Now, since the universe is not yet dead, and since it is going to die in time, it is obvious that time had a beginning. If time had extended infinitely into the past, the universe would already be dead. Thus, the second law testifies conclusively that the universe of time, space, and matter, the universe is a continuum, so space and matter must be contemporaneous with time, in its present form at least, must have had a beginning at zero time. The first law, on the other hand, unequivocally stipulates that the universe could not have begun itself. The second law says there must have been a creation, but the first law says the universe could not have created itself. The only way out of this impasse is to recognize that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1-1. This is the most profoundly scientific statement ever written with all the systems and processes of the cosmos uniting in asserting its truth. End of quotes. The Word of God is replete with passages that declare what science calls the first law of thermodynamics. A few that follow were cataloged by Dr. Morris. Hebrews 4, 3 and 4. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Hebrews 4.10 For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Nehemiah 9.6 Thou, even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth, and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. 
Psalms 148.6. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. Ecclesiastes three fourteen and 15. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? God demonstrates the first law of thermodynamics in his miraculous creation of the earth and its universe just over 6,000 years ago, and this law governs over all of creation. Consider what Dr. Moore said in one of his last statements above. He says this, Genesis 1-1 is the most profoundly scientific statement ever written. And imagine that this is just the very first verse of God's Word. Between the covers of God's beautiful book, the majority text, Holy Bible, is written everything we need to know to live life and live it more abundantly, even eternally. It is our owner's manual, the road map, the road, and even the spiritual vehicle by which we move. God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, Ecclesiastes 3, 14 and 15, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Man said, I'm living the dream. There's no need for a God who cramps my style. The price of salvation? I'm not willing to pay it. Now you have the record. 